Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, this is a show we said we would do at least a couple weeks ago, maybe more than that, because it's a show that we believe is important and something that needs to be talked about. Before we dive into the show, I will give you a warning that there will be conversations about things like sexual assault and so on on this show. So if that's a problem for you, go ahead and turn the show off and just go ahead and skip this one because it's going to be a serious show. And things like that are going to come up. All right. So, obviously, hockey culture is a wide-ranging topic. Uh, There are a lot of different facets to it. But the one that has been in the mainstream media over the past handful of months and really dating back over the last more than a year now um, with Kyle Beach and all of that has been extremely problematic um, in the areas of unfortunate sexually assaulting people. So uh, the main focus over the last couple of months has been on multiple Team Canada World Junior teams and what's going on with them. Uh, Multiple people coming out and uh, explaining that there were some sexual assaults by significant numbers of of certain teams, including the 2003 team. And the other one was 2018, I believe. Okay. Yep. So... Obviously, that's bad. No one here is going to disagree with that. Uh, But the conversation is a lot more complex than that. And we need to talk about it and how things can get better, I hope. Um, I want to give the floor to Megan, first of all, here, because first of all, she has experience with this type of thing. She's worked with things like this in the past. So Megan, if there's anything particular you want to touch on first, go for it. I've had a few different ideas for how to tee off this conversation, and I'm still a little overwhelmed on where to begin because there's a lot to unpack. Um, I almost considered not being on this pod today because I had a lot of discomfort about how overwhelming this messaging can be to try and get across. Um, And this might be a bit long-winded, so if we need to redirect at any point, I completely understand But I think before we dive into hockey culture specifically, it's important to lay some groundwork to better understand the nature and realities of sexual assault. And it can be used as a reference point then in the conversation later um, as a a baseline. Um, And it starts with the nature of sexual assault. Um, It's something I'm going to probably point to at several points in the conversation, but it's important to understand that There's little physical evidence to connect the suspect to the crime. And by nature, 
it is difficult for victims to prove, and there are usually no eyewitnesses to corroborate victims' testimony. Um, and as a result, its discretionary decisions are more susceptible in rape than other crimes um, to the interjection of personal attitudes that we hold towards women. And when we talk about discretion, we recognize that this is our personal beliefs that influence how we talk about sexual assault and that greater conversation drives how it gets investigated, how we treat victims and the likelihood of them coming forward. And that's why it's a little important to recognize the nature of sexual assault, because in a little bit, I'll talk about why this places a near impossible burden of proof on victims. Um, and it, it creates a hard scenario on victims to demonstrate um, if something has happened. The majority of research suggests that men tend to blame and have less favorable attitudes towards female rape victims. And this belongs in the greater conversation because when we first broached this topic, um, a lot of people didn't like that we wanted to focus on hockey culture. And I understand because the frustration is that this is a greater societal problem, and it definitely is. But there is purpose and reason to focus it in at points on hockey culture, as we're going to do later in this pod. But it's not without recognition that there is a greater cultural conversation happening here um, that is going to shape the attitudes that we have about hockey culture as well. Um, I, I could start there uh, and and go into understanding the frequency at which sexual assault happens. I think sometimes these conversations, um, they lack information represented equally. Um, and so there's not really a great understanding of how often sexual assault happens, how often it's reported, how often it goes unreported, and even just the target demographic that is at highest risk of being sexually assaulted. And as it stands in the United States, 90% um, of adult rape victims in the US are women. Um, women aged 16 to 19 are four times more likely than the general population of victims um, to be victims of sexual assault. And it's actually an important age group to talk about that 16 to 19 age range because a lot of the research we have surrounding sexual assault focuses on college-aged women in college for a reason, and it's because it is a hotbed for sexual assault. And this relates to Hockey Canada because of the age group of people competing at the junior pro level and the age of victims involved. Um, this is the highest risk category for victims of sexual assault. Um, you know, it used to be something like one in three women in college are likely to be victims of sexual assault. And that number is sitting somewhere at 44.2% now. Um, as a whole, outside of that college-age demographic, it's looking like something um, more like one in six. Um, and with respect to victims who are men, the number is also shocking. I think it's something like, as a whole, one in ten. Um, and when we redirect the conversation to hockey culture specifically, there are really important components to focus on both men and women um, in ways that both are likely to be victimized um, in that discussion of hockey culture, too. This is going to be where we bring Kyle Beach into the conversation, too, because there are lots of similarities, too, when sexual assault victims are men and women. Similarities in why it is that they are not likely to come forward, similarities in the trauma response that they experience. And I believe that a lot of the research surrounding men as victims, too, is probably undiscovered because of that shame component. Um, so that is something also worth 
talking about a little bit later. But the other part of why this greater cultural conversation is really important and why I'm laying this groundwork a little bit is also the law enforcement angle and how the criminal justice system often handles sexual assault. Um, most individuals who experience a sexual assault don't report it to the police, and those who do have expressed dissatisfaction with the criminal justice system. Arrest and sentencing almost never occurs, and victims often describe re-victimization in coming forward. Um, so that is a reason why victims oftentimes don't come forward. I think there was a study between 1995 and 2013 that found 80% of college women um, did not report their sexual assaults. And the low conviction rate um, has a lot to do with how prosecution happens and when prosecutors decide to take on cases and prosecute them. And that starts by pointing back to the nature of sexual assault being difficult to prove. And then it falls on the shoulders of the victim and their credibility. And that's where it begins to get difficult. Um, there's can a I, lot of- Oh yeah, absolutely. So Sorry. I, there's no, I, no, no, you're good. You're good. And I, I don't, I didn't want to cut you off, but I just, that was something that, you know, as obviously we talked about that we were going to do this yesterday. So I just want to make sure I had a few notes, but that is one thing that I definitely, you know, as we get further in this conversation, want to make sure we come back around to, because I think that's something so important that I don't know if people miss, don't understand. And maybe Megan, you have a better, you know, um, insight on this, you know, just given kind of your background, what you've, you've done with a lot of this stuff, um, you know, when you, when you were in school and stuff. But one thing that I, I do think is, is, I mean, it's at the core of this problem. And, and, and again, as we continue talking about this, this is number, but it's, it is the accountability and, and not even necessarily, I mean, it feels silly that I even have to say this, but like, you know, forget even the, the legal side of it. You know, you, you just look back at some of these, um, uh, you know, national headline grabbing stories over the last few years and, and you know, use the USA gymnastics one, uh, as the example, or, you know, even the Kyle beach one, not only were these people not held accountable in the eyes of the law initially, they weren't even held accountable by their employers. And then again, in the case of, the, of Kyle beach and the coach that sexually assaulted him, not only was he not held accountable, he was actually given a referral to go work somewhere else. So as a victim, you watch this. And, and again, I'm, I'm not going to get too far ahead. I'm sure you're getting lost, but you know, you've just gone through this traumatic, horribly traumatic experience. And now you're faced with this decision of, well, one, if I come forward, is anyone going to believe me? And two, let's say people do believe me. Is anything going to happen? And, and okay, nothing's going to happen. Is that going to lead to more negative consequences for me, you know, in terms of you know, school, your job, whatever. And I think that's such a, an important thing that a lot of people do gloss over when they get defensive about this kind of topic is, oh, well, why didn't they come forward and say anything? It's like, yeah. <laughs> that person's you, life gets ripped apart. Right, right. It's like that person's life gets ripped apart for what <clears throat> what positive outcome for the victim. You know what I mean? In most cases, obviously it's not, you know, 100% of the time, but to the point in some of those stats you were just reading out, and again, this was something that I jotted down, that to me is, is, is one of the biggest things that people don't acknowledge is we like to think that, oh, once someone comes forward and, and, and they prove someone did it, which like you said, Megan, is hard enough as it is. Oh, well, they get in trouble. They get held accountable. They get whatever, whatever. And the brutally harsh reality is in the vast majority of situations, that is not the case. And, and I just think that's something so vitally important. I'm, I'm so glad you brought it up early as to why you, you don't hear about this stuff 
when it happens. And sometimes, you know, once one person come forward, it kind of empowers others to come forward. Um, and a lot of that I really do think has to do with the fact that we are failing victims, whether it be um, through the criminal, uh, you know, through the justice system or, or just holding each other accountable as, you know, <laughs> members of society. And, and that's where I think there's been a huge breakdown. On all of some, I'm sorry to cut you off. I, just, I wanted to make sure that we drilled down on that. Cause I, I think mean, that's huge. It's a, it's a good conversation to have about it too, because the reality is it's not just the two people. No one's going to sit here and tell you sexual assault is okay. It's not. And if you think it is, please leave and never come back. Uh, The problem begins with Megan already explaining all of the stressors and how it can be hard for the victims to come forward. But to combine with that on top of that, to multiply with that, you get these situations where you have people surrounding the situations like the Kyle Beach situation where people in positions of power actively are covering these things up or actively choosing to do nothing about protect themselves. Yeah. And it's, this is where you kind of get into the culture conversation and it's wholly unacceptable to me. And it's part of the reason why we wanted to have this conversation on the show because it needs to be talked about. It needs to be out there and people need to be having these conversations. It can't just be sitting there under the rug. So I'm sorry, man. Keep going. I, I wanted to make oh, sure. Oh, no, it's okay. You're bringing up really second. great points. And it's like, I want to jump ahead to different parts of the conversation because what yeah. you guys are talking about is so important in this conversation. Accountability. Athletes, Brock Turner, and a collegiate swimmer who literally, unlike most sexual assault cases, gets caught in the act of sexual assault. And despite eyewitnesses, he spends three months in jail and is out on probation. It sends a really defeating message to a lot of victims because that is not often how sexual assault happens either. There often aren't eyewitnesses. um, And so it's not as clear cut a case. Um, There's progress that has been made in the criminal justice system though. In this arena, there have been rape reform laws um, and special victims units and prosecutor offices that specialize in sexual assault. Um, And so these things have, have driven progress and there are more people reporting sexual assault than before, I think, as a result of that. But the issue is still the attitudes. And because I alluded to it being discretionary, it is at the discretion of law enforcement. And that really leans heavily on our uniformed officers responding to someone reporting a sexual assault using good discretion. And that is shaped by attitudes that they have about the victim. And reports of sexual assaults um, are investigated more thoroughly if it was a stranger who was the assailant than if the victim knew that person. And if the victim knew that person, that's a really loose definition. In the eyes of law enforcement, it begins to chip it away at credibility in what I call a credibility clock. And it begins ticking. If a victim does choose to come forward and report a sexual assault, it begins ticking the moment they report it. And there are things called high-risk behaviors, women who engage in high-risk behavior or risk-taking are less likely to be viewed as genuine victims in the eyes of the law if we begin to introduce things like drinking, drug use. For the purposes of the Hockey Canada conversation, drinking is going to be a huge piece because in everything that I know to be true and what I have heard not only from the 2018 and 2003 allegations, but what I've heard firsthand and have seen and have observed, alcohol is an accelerant in all of these things but it serves to harm victim credibility if it was present. Um, 
And so that's where we get into this fallacy of the perfect victim. Um, the first thing to consider is the trauma response that sexual assault causes, and it can be in the immediate uh, fight, flight, or freeze. And this is why it's hard to set expectations about how a victim should respond during the assault. Um, and, you know, they don't have the wherewithal to be thinking of collecting evidence during the assault. Sometimes they're incapacitated. They don't have agency over their body. There's a lot of reasons for that. And then immediately following, I pinpoint shame and denial as two other things that can be hurdles that prevent victims from coming forward or being taken seriously. And the shame is that instinct for a victim to immediately shower following a sexual assault. It's a disturbing detail in the 2018 allegations from Hockey Canada because the victim was instructed to shower in her allegations. Um, and this is something that removes physical evidence and is harmful, but it's related to the shame response and then denial, which points to the timeliness that a victim might have in coming forward um, because not everyone who is a victim confronts the reality that they've been assaulted immediately after it happens. And this can take any length of time for them to acknowledge what has happened to them. And that's why sometimes we hear of victims coming forward at later dates. There are so many reasons why that might happen. And once you get past the hurdles of the trauma response, if a victim does have the consideration to get a medical forensic exam, um, there are even more hurdles that are present at that point too. The sexual assault kits um, are offered in different arenas um, and depending on where a victim goes, if they go to an emergency room, there are different levels of expertise that people have to conduct these examinations and they can be a bit invasive. The immediate examination can be quick, but the uh, forensic evidence collection for the sexual assault kit can take one to five hours. And then you, you leave it in the hands of the person who conducted the exam too, in hopes that they're going to do it effectively and correctly. But the other hurdle, which is only made worse in the pandemic era, is that there's a serious backlog at crime labs um, that delays processing rape kits and can render them worthless in investigations. Um, this was a problem that predates the pandemic. So I imagine the backlogs are even worse now, but it was estimated that hundreds of thousands of kits sat in uh, police custody untested in present day time. Um, and so there are a lot of hurdles as far as like, because these have genuinely helped bolster investigations, the presence of a sexual assault kit, but there are so many hurdles to get through to even get to that point. And then there are just even more hurdles in the process behind it. Um, and it's, it is for those reasons that the investigative process and the criminal justice system are really difficult angles. Every aspect of this conversation too is multidimensional. It is complicated. There is not just one uh, example of it. And so for that reason too, um, I forgot where I was going. I lost my train of thought, uh, but it was, it was going to be something like, yeah, I lost my train of thought, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. Uh, well, and, and oh, go ahead, Rudo. No, you're good. You're good. Well, so I was going to say, I just, you know, Megan, you, you are, you're bringing up so much information and so many, I don't want to say good points. Cause I feel like that waters down what you're saying. Like they're not just good points. You know, these are, these are really hard, harsh realities that, that a lot of people don't understand. And, and that's the part to me that I think, um, makes this this topic so unnecessarily controversial. You know what I mean? Like when we talked about this, when it came up, I think in that initial, I think it was a Q&A show that kind of 
sparked mm-hmm. what we're going to do this show later. You know, a lot of us, we were, we were talking about stuff that we were joking yesterday. You know, you say stuff that you're, you're like, uh, well, surely no way this is a controversial take, you know, Rudo, like, oh, sexual assault is bad, right? Like, sometimes we say stuff like that and you still get responses from people that, you know, seemingly don't make any sense. And I think a lot of that is is based around people don't understand. They think it's as easy as saying, especially with the way the internet is today, right? Oh, this person came forward and said they sexual assault. So, so this person's canceled. Their life is ruined. And it's like, you're crazy if you think that that's just how stuff works. This is a, this is a brutal process for victims to have to go through. Uh, and even when they do it, like you're saying, Megan, to a T, there are so many things that are out of their hands that, <laughs> again, I don't necessarily want to say like hinder their case or their ability to, to prove themselves, but that's really what it is, right? Like there's, it seems like there are, hurdles almost like built in to prevent you from being able to say, this is what happened. This is how it happened. You know, and something that should be open and shut, uh, you know, like what you were talking about there with, with a lot of, you know, the rape kits and the sexual assault kits and how long they can take. And depending on the backlog, it, it can cause them to be, um, you know, expired or, or whatever. It, you know, I forget what term you used, um, you know, useless by the time they get to court. And, and then, the other thing, and, and AJ and I talked a little bit about this yesterday, and I, and I don't want to, I really want to make sure this, this comes off the way that I mean it. The, the other thing too that just adds to the the huge number of, of uh, unfortunately, huge number of victims that you're talking about is you do have those there and they're very rare. I do not want to make this sound different than I mean, it, but you do have those very rare instances where someone does come forward and, 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 you know, make up a situation, you know, make up, a, a um, you know, these allegations or whatever, and, and they're completely false. And again, those are very, very small. I'm not trying to say that applies to anything we're talking about here, but that's just another hurdle that actual victims are then forced to fight through the, the old phrase, you know, one person ruins it for everybody. You do have these very small numbers of, of, of men and women who, who will go to the police and and kind of take them down this trail that ends up to be nothing. And that kind of like you were talking about people's attitude towards the victim, that does build in some subconscious bias by whoever it is you're dealing with if, if they've had that experience in the past to put that wall up and say, oh, well, are you sure you're telling the truth? And again, it's just, it's another example of people making it harder for victims. And, and that's, and, and again, that to me is is what has been so upsetting about this summer is we didn't just find out that hockey Canada had one instance of, of some kids that, you know, wow, what, you know, this is a bad group of kids. They, whatever, whatever. No, we're finding out this has been going on and you wonder how many times have they made it harder for victims internally by, you know, just through their processes or whatever, not believing people, this, that, and the other. And it's just so frustrating when you see, and this all came to because you were talking about the hurdles that are seemingly almost like built into the system. And then you just start thinking about the, the man-made hurdles. What do we add to it that makes it more difficult for these victims to feel comfortable going forward, coming forward, to feel like they're going to be believed and to feel like they're going to get some justice out of it. And that's the part that I feel like people miss a lot when they say, well, why didn't they just come forward? Maybe they did. 
and, and again, they just they couldn't overcome the hurdles that that we've put in place to get them to a point where they're believable or not they're believable. You know what I'm saying? It's it's very uh-huh. easy to support the victims when it all comes out, right? Like it, mm-hmm. once once Kyle Beach's stuff was all out there in the public, of course everyone was like, "Yeah, obviously yeah. we're taking Kyle Beach's side. Obviously we're here for him." But the reality of is when it actually happens and that information gets stifled or doesn't come out for whatever reason, very, very often those people aren't getting the support that they probably need and and certainly deserve. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up false allegations, Jesse, because it is an absolutely important part of this conversation. The reality is that they do happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And the reason they belong in this conversation and the reason I want to talk about it in this way is because I think the cultural conversation that we have about sexual assault doesn't weigh false allegations proportionate to everything that I else 100%. that I just described with the frequency of sexual assault happens and this goes unreported, the low conviction rates. People don't weigh it alongside the frequency of false allegations. Um, through meta-analytic studies, it was a compilation of seven conservative studies that had Difficult to define metrics because it is difficult to get research on all of these topics because they're all difficult to prove innocence or guilt, including false allegations. Um, It's also difficult to capture data around that uh, because sometimes investigations are dropped and deemed unfounded and unfounded just means a lack of physical evidence, a lack of eyewitnesses. Um, Victim credibility just didn't check out in the eyes of law enforcement and unfounded doesn't demonstrate guilt nor innocence, and sometimes it filters into these metrics. So it gets really hard to sort through the data, but we're sitting at a false report rate of about 5%, which is a small but significant number when you consider that more sexual assault cases are being reported. But there are studies that support that law enforcement still believe the false rate of reports to be higher than what is demonstrated by data. And that is where the attitudes and our understanding of it becomes problematic because this relates to the hockey culture conversation too but there is a difference when there is status and public figure involved and high profile cases that we hear about in the media are going to capture more cases of false allegations um, than we could really get our hands on and it's going to skew how often this actually occurs in the everyday and i don't know of a lot of research that is specific to sexual assault allegations surrounding public figures. It becomes difficult to have that conversation. And so once we begin to unpack Hockey Canada, hockey culture, we can start talking about different things like how elevated status in the eyes of the community might affect these type of things um, both ways. And so I'm glad you brought up the false allegations. I remembered my train of thought that I lost and it was just that a talking point I see sometimes people enter conversations when a victim comes forward and they say things like, I'd like to wait until the evidence comes out mm-hmm. or you know, I'll let the criminal justice system do its job or if a crime really happened, why didn't this person report it? Because sometimes the information is revealed in a different way through media and everything I've just explained hopefully can better illuminate why that is and why evidence is not coming. You're going to be waiting a long time for physical evidence that is difficult to produce because that is just the nature of sexual assault. Yeah. I was mostly just stalling to give you enough time to catch your train of thought. To get my thought together. (laughs) The other part I don't want to miss here is the trauma that 
sexual assault has on victims, the aftermath. Um, it has been linked to PTSD pretty significantly and 33% of women who are sexually assaulted contemplate suicide. It can lead to night terrors, bedwetting, but ultimately it affects all interpersonal relationships moving forward. This is going to be in the academic, professional and romantic world that people will respond differently as a result of being a survivor. And it's important to think about that when someone comes forward and you enter that conversation, um, I wanna draw a clear distinction that expressing sympathy and kindness and belief towards victims doesn't simultaneously admonish and vilify the other party involved. Like with the 2018 Hockey Canada allegations, I have been less invested in the who. I am looking at the why and the greater conversation surrounding it um, and wanting to be there for and in support of victims generally. So that kind of sets the stage hopefully too for the Hockey Canada and hockey culture conversation specifically, where I think that all of us can weigh in a lot more evenly than what just happened now. I had to lay a little bit of groundwork first, but I think this is a Glad community that. that we're yeah, here to all of us that we have a lot to say on. Yeah, it's, yeah. and the culture conversation for me, not only is it unacceptable that this happened, but like you said, why does this keep happening? Why does it keep going like this? Why not only that it's continuing to happen, but it, it keeps happening in such a way that, oh, you're finding out years later. Oh, you're finding out people were covering it up. Oh, you're finding out important people knew about these things. Why and how do we fix that? I do have eventually some uh, solutions in mind. Um, and I feel like this is going to be an area that Jesse can also really speak to, but I wanted to begin with kind of talking about what hockey culture is because it is an umbrella term and it's very generic and it applies to a lot of things. Um, and I think it can result in immediate negative connotation when we say hockey culture. And hockey culture is comprised of so many things. It's just a big way to talk about an entity. And we are just examining one component of hockey culture today. There are positive elements of hockey culture. And so much of my perspective on this is shaped by people I know in the hockey community, players that I know, uh, women that I know in the industry. And I know so many good men in hockey. I don't know if I've shared this on the pod, but I champion the DU hockey program the way that I do because of the people that I met while I was a student there. They demonstrated great character and treated me with respect in a way that helped to rehabilitate my view of hockey because I met such good people with upstanding character. It influenced me so much. That's why I talk about them as much as I do. And I can't vouch for an entire hockey team of young men from the time that I was a student there but I met a good enough amount and got a pulse for the culture of that program that I found to be so positive. Um, I champion and celebrate all of the good people that I know in this community and it's why I'm here. Everything that I'm talking about is obviously very top, uh, touchy, but I have chosen to be in this space in a male dominated industry where I recognize that there are problems because I do love so many aspects of this culture and its community of people. And it's important to me to use my platform here 
to leave this space better than I found it. And I have identified some problems and I just want to keep both the young men and women coming up in hockey a little bit safer. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And, and I love what you said that about leaving it better than you found it. Cause that's like my life motto. Um, no, Megan, it's, it's, I, one, I do love that you laid that you did kind of go through and, and laid a lot of that, <clears throat> excuse me, groundwork because, um, you know, you're right that it is. AJ made a comment. I think it was last week. I, I'm not even sure what time it is anymore. Off between 2020 and this last off season, I'm not even sure what year we're in. Um, you know, AJ made a, a comment about like, you know, it's one of those things where every day you wake up and it's like, well, what's going to happen next? And we all kind of made the comment that like, well, damn it. That's kind of just how life has felt these last two, three years of well, what's going to happen next. And, and what makes it hard is that, you know, hockey and sports are traditionally, you know, somewhere where you go to uh, escape reality. Right. Um, I was just talking about with a buddy last week uh, on, on Thursday night, you know, we were leaving the game and we're all older and stuff and just talking, life is tough and blah, blah, blah. And he said, but you know, I, I love, I, you know, the, these leagues I play in, I, I have a couple times a week where I get to go to the rink and I don't have to think about anything else. I just get to go to the rink and have fun. And then what's been so upsetting about a lot of the stuff that's come out of the last couple of years is the rink doesn't feel like that every time you're there anymore. Right? Like there's been times over the last couple of years where, you go to the rink, whether it be this, the Kyle Beach stuff, the Hockey Canada stuff, and that's that's what people are talking about because that's what people should be talking about. It's 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 a problem and it's present um, in that community, and and that's what's so upsetting and frustrating for me is that you know the the, the problems of real life are showing, hey, these are problems that exist not only everywhere but they exist within your circle, and and there's something that your community, your circle. Um, this has been allowed to go on. And, and, and as we have found out, you know, countless times over the years, Theo Fleury, now, you know, these kind of expanded hockey Canada um, allegations. And there's a, there's, a, you know, plenty that I'm leaving out, but um, that this isn't something that's crept in, but it's something that's kind of been ever present. Um Again, so I, I just want—I want to backtrack a little bit, and I'm gonna—I'm gonna go for a couple minutes here. So I apologize. Anyone cut me off at any point if you have something to say. Um, but I want to go back and touch on a little bit of what I said just a little from a couple weeks ago when this first came up, just because it does tie into a lot of what Megan just talked about and some of the people that you meet, uh, you know, within hockey and and, and stuff like that. Uh, hockey, I think, is so. Again, I, the, the term hockey culture, like you said, it's so wide ranging and I get, I get really frustrated when I see people now say, Oh, hockey culture is, is terrible. It's toxic. It's whatever. It's like, no, there's a part of it that either you don't like, or, or you're right. We need to be better at, but you know, again, I said it a couple weeks ago, some of the best people I've, I've met in my life are from the hockey community and they're hockey people. And I genuinely do something that a lot of people try to tag as a negative um, of, you know, team first, you put others before yourself. That to me is something that is taught within the hockey community at a very young age. Um, is that, you know, you have to lift each other up. Nobody accomplishes anything by themselves. Right. Um, and that's something that I think is very ingrained. And that's why I think you meet so many 
just high quality, upstanding people within this community because there are a lot of people that share that value. Hey, I have to lift others up so that they can then pull me up, right? Um, and I genuinely do believe that that is the overwhelming uh, majority of people within the hockey community. Again, you are never going to have 100%. I am not trying to say for one second there aren't bad people, people that, that you know, you don't want to be part of your community involved. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I do. That's in my heart. I believe that the vast majority are, are good people who, who mean to do well. What I touched on a couple weeks ago is that hockey is semi unique. There's versions of this, you know, across the other sports, but semi unique in the fact that the vast majority of players that you see make it to the pro level, their path to get there came through leaving home at a very young age. And in the case of a lot of people leaving maybe their, their home country, um, you know, not just traveling across the state, across the province to a different city, but no, going across the country, very far away from their family. And, and they're entrusted to coaches, organizations, billet families. And, and these parents say, here, we're trusting you with our child to help raise them and mold them to be, you know, those types of people that I was just talking about in the hockey community, someone that cares about other people that does the right thing that speaks up when they see something uh, going wrong, whatever, whatever. And, 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 you know, these parents are saying, we, we trust you to take our kids. There's been a breakdown there. If you are a parent in Canada right now, thinking about sending your kid to any one of these CHL teams that are associated with hockey Canada, I, I don't feel comfortable sending my kid to do that right now with, with seeing what is happening over there and, and the way that, you know, not only are they handling stuff that is, uh, or, you know, not only are they not dealing with stuff that, that seemingly is coming in, but in fact, they're trying to bury it under the rug. And, you know, AJ, I think it was you brought up that tournament or maybe it was you and Ruto from a couple of years ago where they wouldn't let the parents see the kids. Uh, outside of like these certain designated visiting hours, uh, you know, with team representatives present. So like, like that's a problem. If you're a parent, that's a problem. So to me, that's, that's the first thing that we have to re-examine what's happening here. What, you know, why are we ending up with some of these kids who are, are being entrusted to people who obviously aren't upholding their end of the deal, especially when you're talking about dealing with young kids to, um, and this is something that, that absolutely stretches outside of hockey, but I think in, in this Hockey Canada example, it's important, and that's entitlement. And you touched on this a little bit, Megan. Um, again, let's stick with hockey here and Hockey Canada in particular. These kids have been taught from the time they're little, they're very young, that if you're an elite, top-tier athlete, and again, in Canada, specifically a hockey player, even more simply playing for Hockey Canada you can really kind of get away with whatever, right? You know, school, work, coaches, the workouts. If you are good enough, they are going to let you get away with more. And even though those are maybe small things, it, began it begins teaching a bad lesson and setting a bad precedent for a lot of these kids. And, and again, you know, you mentioned earlier, Megan, the numbers that we see amongst college students and, and you mentioned the swimmer and I already forgot his name, but that Brock Turner. Thank you. Yes. Uh, again, you know, top tier athlete at, at his school, division one scholarships, this, that, and the other, these kids are told you can do whatever. 
right? You can do whatever. Uh, and, and then we see it once they get to pro sports. How many times do we see pro athletes get caught for something? Caught, guilty, red-handed. And they get off with a slap on the wrist. My, my go-to in terms of recent memory is the Broncos' Melvin Gordon. DUI, convicted, caught. And the NFL came to him and said, hey, Melvin, so sorry to bother you with this. When would be the most convenient time for you to serve your suspension this year or next? That is not, <laughs> that's not accountability. That's reinforcing to someone, you can do whatever you want. You can get drunk and speed down the highway. And, and, and we see the consequences in Las Vegas over this last NFL offseason. That kid was told too many times you're okay to get away with it until he killed someone. And again, you go back to this hockey Canada situation. They've now seen the precedent set with past teams. These players all know each other. They know what happens. They know that you know teams in the past have gotten away with it. It never even came up in the news. Again, I'm not necessarily saying that's the reason why they're justifying it, but that is something that's subconscious to them. That's saying Man, it doesn't really matter. You're 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 the you're top six forward for hockey Canada. You can kind of get away with whatever you want. And then and then my last one you know, my last kind of like major point is what you talked about earlier. And it's, it's the accountability and uh, look, I'm, I'm not someone who says that, and I'm not trying to equate this to just making a mistake, but you know, I'm not someone who says that if someone does something wrong, makes a mistake, whatever adjective you want to use that, that their life needs to be completely torn apart. I'm not someone that I don't think that as a blanket, right? Which I think you do get some people out there on the internet like that who are, if you're not perfect, you're, you're done, you're canceled. Um, but I do think that Hockey Canada and the hockey community in particular is in a unique situation here. Um, given that all of this has come out in the last couple of years and a lot of this is still open, the Kyle Beach stuff, uh, now, not just one, but multiple Hockey Canada investigations. Um, I think hockey and, and hockey culture, hockey community, we have, a, we have an opportunity here to start to change the standard um, in these types of situations amongst athletes. In doesn't just, it's not just sports. You know, it's in Hollywood, uh, you know, churches. Uh, we see it anywhere where you have people in positions of power. Hockey has, has the opportunity to say, we are going to hold these people accountable and set the precedent for how this will be handled in hockey going forward. We, we can't change what, what people have done in the past to let people get away with this. We can't go back and, and, and undo Joel Quinville not speaking up when he was briefed about this, right? But how can we improve this so that never happens again? And to me, this really does start with the people that were involved. And this is, and I'm, I'm, I hate that I'm going to say this. I'm so sorry. With the hockey Canada thing, this isn't where we maybe do have to wait a little bit more to get to the end of this, to make sure that people are being punished appropriately. And, and, you know, whether that be suspend them now while this all is pending. And then when it gets to the end, you either, you either, you know, more punishment, less severe punishment for, for certain individuals, whatever, but everybody involved in this needs to be held accountable to the fullest extent. And it's part, that is part of the reason why what Hockey Canada did with the medal ceremony was that last week uh, was, was so disgusting because it's like, you guys, you're, you're, you either just don't get it or you are openly flaunting 
we're, no one's going to be held accountable here. You know, these are the people in position of power and they're going to stay the people in positions of power, which means nothing really is going to change. Again, I mentioned the U.S. gymnastics thing earlier. That was someone who was in a position of power and and they prioritized the, their, their people in positions of power. And I don't even know if that one you can equate to winning or whatever, but they prioritized that over the victim's safety and, and, and well-being. And again, we already got into why people don't believe victims and, uh, you know, and things like that. But this is something where, again, I just mentioned Joel Quinville, one of the few things where it's, it's a positive the way the internet works. You more than ever, people listening to this, us, you know, anybody in sports, anybody that sees this, you have more ways than ever to anonymously bring this forward and, and bring this to people's attention and be an ally and support victims. You no longer have to worry about, you know, oh, well, if I go to this person, are they not going to, are they not going to take what I say seriously? And I'm going to get fired because I, you know, I'm, um, you know, bringing up something that I witnessed. You have so many outlets to bring things up and make sure that you are, like I said, doing right by, by your, your teammates, by your partners, someone who works for you, someone who you work for. You're not just letting that happen and go by without doing anything about it. There's so many things you can do. And again, we see it all the time. Once someone is held accountable, it emboldens others to come forward and say, hey, this happened to me. Hey, this happened over here. Well, I, I think that's part of why we're here doing this show right now. Like we've already talked about how big hockey culture is. This podcast is part of hockey culture. Mm -hmm. Everybody watching this YouTube video or listening to this podcast is part of hockey culture. And yep. is this podcast going to change the world? No, probably not. But if we can do this show and even one person realizes, Hey, we need to do a better job of holding people accountable at very least in hockey, if not the rest of the world, that helps every single person within a culture can help change it and not one single person by themselves. One single podcast isn't going to change anything, but as that builds and the entire culture comes together to realize, hopefully that things like covering up sexual assault on the regular is really, really bad and is just needs to never be done ever again. It takes the entire community to do stuff like right that. and 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 isn't that uh, i i like the way you phrase that because that was part of that was what took the chicago blackhawks thing from a terrible thing that happened to almost unfathomable that not only did something like that happen but then so many people went so far out of their way to cover it up and to make sure that nothing came out of it right that was what took it from a, a horrible, disgusting thing that happened to, like I said, almost unthinkable that not only did one person kind of like, Oh, well, I'm not going to say anything about this, but there was a meeting about it where the, 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 the highest ranking members of the organization were sat down in a room, told what happened and collectively decided, yeah, this doesn't leave this room. And, and Megan, I don't know if you have any stats for it, if there's anywhere to look up for this, but I would love to know how, if any, how any of those numbers change if it's brought forward by someone else saying, I saw this happen. I witnessed this. I know this is going on. And that's, a, that's, that's the area where to Rudo's point, 
you know, you're never going to change the world, you know, with one blanket statement, but if that's something where if, if we can, or if anybody, this conversation, this situation, like can, can empower someone who sees something happen that, that they don't feel is right. Instead of being too afraid to go bring, to, to, to go bring that to someone who can do something about it. If this conversation, not even saying hours, just the conversation, the overarching conversation can empower someone to say, I'm going to go advocate for this victim. You have no idea how that changes any of these. You know, if someone were to speak up on behalf of that, the, the, the victim of, of this 2018 Hockey Canada thing, when it happened, how much more seriously is that taken? If someone's coming to Hockey Canada saying, I saw this, I know I saw it happen. We need to do something about it or I'm going to go, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go find someone who will do something about it. You know, we, there has to be consequences for this. And the biggest problem is, and this ties back to a lot of what you laid out, Megan, so much of this gets away consequence-free. And until we find a way to start there, start there. It's, it's in my opinion, and, and you know, someone tell me I'm an idiot, but it's, if we don't start there, it's really hard to take that next step. I think it has to start with transparency um, because mm -hmm. when you start at the top of Hockey Canada and you find out that they're taking dues, they're taking Hockey Canada dues from kids and families all across the nation and they're putting it into, you know, they're, part, they're taking some of that money and they're, they're putting it into a slush fund for settlements and situations like this yeah. that they can keep private that include things like NDA so that nobody can talk about it. That's the that's the kind of thing, man, where you're like, look, this this you're not you're not trying to prevent this from happening. You're trying to prevent it from getting out. You're not trying to punish the kids. You're not trying to change the culture. You're not trying to hold these kids accountable for uh, for for acting a fool, for ruining somebody's life because, oh, you know, the, the thing that uh, one of the many aspects of the Brock Turner case that was unbelievably infuriating was that. Everybody was so concerned with the future of Brock Turner. Everybody, oh, he, it, this is going to ruin his life. This is going to, this is going to tear him down. He's never going to recover from this. And there was no thought given to what what the victim's life became of it. And it was there was so much concern. Oh, Brock Turner's got such a bright future. Well, because he was going to be a he was going to be a swimmer because he might have gone to the Olympics. He was he had such a bright future that his victim didn't have a bright future. And it, and when you're talking about kids who are on track for pro pro careers, you know, certainly anybody that puts on Team Canada's sweater uh, and, and goes to the WJCs is at least on track to some kind of a pro career in the mm -hmm. sport of hockey. And so much gets, oh, well, these kids, they, they, they made a mistake. And, you know, they, 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 their futures get prioritized. While while the ashes of the lives of the victims get stepped on by everybody passing through the case, and it just it's infuriating because the people at the top are so busy trying to stay at the top that they're not doing their jobs. They're not making it a safer place. They're not doing that, and that's where it's on us. It's on us as a society. It's on us as an as individuals. It's on us as a podcast. It's on us as the DNVR Avalanche community to make it a better place where we can. If we can make it, if we can make the DNVR Avalanche community 
the the kind of place that that women feel comfortable and that if anybody anybody steps out of line anybody acts a fool then we hold we they get held accountable then maybe the the PHNX Coyotes community and the CHGO Blackhawks community and you know and then and that's how it starts you guys were talking about oh it's it, it, this podcast isn't going to change the world but if the 35 most popular hockey podcasts out there all came together and said yeah we're holding this accountable hockey canada has to stop these people have to go these people can't continue to have their positions of power they can't continue to make decisions they had their opportunity they blew it they have lost the privilege of being in a position of power in this community because they proved they can't handle it. And that's where you have to have that transparency at the top. You have to believe that the people in power have the best interests of everyone at heart. And I don't, I don't feel like in hockey Canada, I certainly don't feel like in uh, a USA hockey, you know, when they, when they just, disregarded John Van Beesbrook's history and gave him a position of power. And we're like, Oh great. Yeah. It's all good, man. They don't, I don't feel like they give a shit. I don't feel like, I don't feel like the NHL gives a shit. I, it just doesn't seem like a thing that is taken seriously enough. You just saw in the NFL, Deshaun Watson got 11 game suspension, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 11 game, not even a game per reported victim. It was half a game per reported victim. Unbelievable. Whole thing is offensive. And so I think that it's it's we start with us. And if we can all if we can all build it all together, uh if we can all band it together and we can stop this clamoring for like, oh well, we need we we need the evidence. Megan Megan and Megan gave a great example at the start of the pod why that is so difficult to produce. Why in situations like this, you do take that leap, you believe what you're hearing. And you go through the process and blah, 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 blah. But it's a process, as we mentioned, it's flawed. It's set up to fail victims at multiple turns. And that we have to change that. We have to change the people at the top. And all of it starts, in my opinion, with transparency. You got to be more open about everything. You got to, you got to, you got to not be so obsessed and so wrapped up in, well, this is going to hurt the team. This is going to hurt the bigger goal. This is going to whatever. If you see some bullshit from some of your teammates, you have to report that. You have to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. And and we're seeing we're seeing all oh, these these kids don't know what they're they're they they you know oh he walks in a teammate walks in and he sees something he doesn't know what he's seeing, and so he just leaves he just leaves the scene and doesn't tell anybody about it because he's just not sure what's going on. He's got to tell somebody. It starts with them. It starts with the adults. It starts with hockey Canada. It starts with us on an everyday level making the baseline understanding here that this is not acceptable and that it is a privilege to play in the NHL. It is a privilege to play for Team Canada. It is a privilege to represent your country uh, in in the sports realm and that if you cross certain lines, you lose that privilege, the end. No, No shades of gray in it. You cross those lines. You ruin somebody's life. Because you think you you think you think that the victim isn't going to have their life annihilated by this? Every 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 future date that they go on, every future boyfriend, it's always going to be in the back of their mind. Something like this was it happened once; it can happen again. In a situation where they they felt like they were safe, they felt like they were with people they could trust, 
and then they and then they weren't anymore, and their life is in ashes because of it. And we're sitting here concerned about the futures of the hockey players and this and that. And I just, for me, I just it it the whole thing really pisses me off because it's unacceptable the way that we just trample on the victims in these in these conversations. And obviously, not to say that that's what our pot has done today, but I just feel I just feel like. If, if it starts with all of us on a day-to-day basis, this is unacceptable. It should be obvious that there are consequences here. And instead of doing the right thing, everybody gets into this weird protective, like hyper, like, like, oh, well, you know, we've got a, we've got a band together and we don't want to ruin the team and we don't blah, 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 blah. And no, these are, they're pr- these are privileges in life to be able to it's... get to do this stuff. And Hey, you cross these lines, you lose them. You know, it, it's an interesting conversation there because Jesse did bring up in hockey culture, it is very much about putting the team first and raising your team up. And I think that's kind of a sick and twisted version of it where they feel like they need to protect their teammates right. in a way. And instead of the feeling should be, that's entirely unacceptable and a teammate would never ever do that and they need to be removed from the team. Well, I was going to say, so there's, there's a couple, Full things there. One, it, it is funny because Rudo, I do agree with you that that they can sometimes look at it that way. And it's it's funny again, just the way that my brain works on that. Like I sit there and I'm like, that's it's because so, again, I think you're right. And it's funny because I think that there are people that interpret it like that within the community. Again, I mean the Blackhawks one is the easiest one to point out, right? I mean um, this isn't a direct quote, but like they essentially paraphrase it to be like, well, we don't want to bring this up. We're in the middle of this cup run and we don't want to take away from the on ice, you know, what's going on in the ice. And that's where I fully agree with you. It's like, yeah, no, you guys, you've, you've kind of perverted that, you know, that, that, that way of thinking of you do stuff for your team and you lift each other up and you do the right thing. And you help each other out. And what's so funny is my brain actually works the other way where it's like exactly what you're saying. Real, reporting that is how you lift other people up. That's how you help the people around you. Like you said earlier, this, this is all of our community. Yeah. You have your teams. You guys are my team, right? But we're all part of a bigger community. And and that's that what you have to be lifting up as a whole. And then the one other thing, and and, and AJ, I'm not disagreeing with you because I I do think a lot of what you said is true, but there, there are just a couple things. One, and this is something that I am very fortunate that I don't have firsthand experience in. And I think it's relevant in certain situations of the Hockey Canada thing. That story that was published today, I, I didn't read it top to bottom, so I, I, I'm not going to speak too definitively on it because I, I, I didn't, I saw it right as we were getting on. So I was re- reading I through it as the intro was going. Yeah. Um, the one thing that just, again, in the same that we talked about, there are things that I think people don't understand from the victim standpoint and why that can be difficult for them to come forward. I do think that we, we need to make sure that there are situations where, again, we've used the phrase position of power for a 16 year old kid. You know what his lawyer was claiming is that, you know, he was afraid to speak up. If, if I go say something, am I going to get in trouble? And that's what I was kind of referring to earlier. There is a, a side of this where, you know, depending on who you are, you're a kid who's worked, you know, your, your whole life, you've sacrificed a lot, you've moved away. 
And now you're sitting there in a situation where you feel like, oh man, well, if I go say something, are they going to take everything away from me? And that's another part that, that we need to fix as well. And to me, that starts with uh, change at the top and, and you can't give the Blackhawks full credit because they didn't quite get rid of every last person, but you know, they tried to do a full sweep of the organization and again, pulling this back to hockey Canada. For 10 me, years later. Right, 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 right. But I, that was kind of my point of like, once, once it all came out, you can't go backwards. You can only do better going forward, but you're hundred percent right. Like I said, you can't give them full marks. But like with hockey Canada, this needs to be something where that organization needs to be stripped from the top down, completely rebuilt. And there needs to be an infrastructure and a support system that is conducive to and a safe place for people being able to come forward and say, I see, I saw something that wasn't right and not have to worry about. Are they going to take everything away from me just for saying something the same way, you know, they're going to take everything away from this victim for coming forward and saying something. And that's another issue too, where I do feel like we can sometimes say, Oh, well, why didn't that person just say something without fully understanding what their situation was. And to me, that's an area that we need to tackle as well is there needs to be more areas for people to feel comfortable coming forward and saying, I see, I see something. So I'm saying something. Uh, and that's something that I feel that lacks again, it expands beyond hockey, but for the sake of this conversation, I will say within hockey culture, hockey community, um, where you don't always feel like you can go tell your head coach, you saw something because is that going to have negative repercussions for you? Someone just trying to do the right thing. And that's a problem as well. Before we started the pod, um, for people who are looking for more information about the Hockey Canada allegations with both the 2003 and 2018 team, Katie Strang and Rick Westhead are good journalists covering both of these stories. And for the 2018 allegations, Rick Westhead, before we started the pod, released uh, some information about a player whose lawyer, I think, revealed that they had received a text um, saying that there was a party and pizza upstairs and the player had gone upstairs in response to this text and was not aware of what they might have been looking at. Um, and it brings a couple of different things to mind. One, I just find the subject matter of the text to be weird. I know that they are sugarcoating what the likely context of that text actually was, but if you've ever seen a hockey player's group chat, and if you'd like to see one, Brendan Leipzig has uh, snapshots of his all over the internet. Um, it's a really revealing look into how these players talk to one another, and it's something I want to talk about in a second. Um, but I'm having a hard time with the pizza party scenario. But Justin yeah. has talked about bystander intervention training, um, and that is relying on the good people in hockey to intervene. And it's not usually so literal well, where they'll walk in on a sexual assault happening, um, but it is training that is aimed towards teaching these young players and people involved in the organization how to respond if they do see something, and including the 2003 team, because this was a widely distributed and well-known video that was taken in the 2003 case that a lot of people knew about and didn't say anything until now. And it's not to be forgotten that these two instances with Hockey Canada happen more than a decade apart. And it's going to bring me to the next part of the conversation, which is the personal stories that I'm sitting on as a woman, um, as a woman in the hockey community who has been a young woman, you know, senior in high school, 
throughout college is when I began to hear these types of stories and they actually stem from the USHL and then into the NCAA D1 level that these stories span across and some of them are player accounts of different things that they saw from when they were in juniors and some of them are stories from other women that I've known who've been in experiences where they've seen things and the details of these stories are so eerily similar to the MO of the 2003 and the 2018 allegations that it is really hard for me to find them anything but conceivable based on firsthand accounts that I know from people who have played in the sport. And it's quite horrific. Um, and so it requires further examination then at what it is about these all male groups specifically that makes them a hotbed for this type of problem because as it stands um hockey the infrastructure of hockey props up a lot of what we're seeing in these cases and it's obviously not intentional but it does foster an unhealthy and high-risk environment for these things um, and it starts with the attitudes towards women i allude to the group chat um, but studies have been done around locker room talk and have revealed that players talk about women and sexually objectify them and talk about them as objects to be conquered. Um, and in the Leipzig group chat, he described women as kills, hogs, notches. In the 2003 video, they refer to the woman in the video as a slam roast, I think it is, um, something like that hog roast. It, it was really gross, um, but they use animalistic terms to refer to women. Um, and these are just quick examples that I know to be true of lingo that is used by hockey players and how they describe women. Um, and, and sports are, are bound by tradition and code. And this infiltrates sports in a positive way when players adopt different traditions and they become true of an organization, implement traditions over time. But in that too, there are repeated cycles, especially in junior aged players where in rookie parties and hazing and initiation that mm -hmm. are passed down because of word of mouth from the teams before them that aren't really being interrupted. And there are people who are former players that now hold high positions in hockey that are privy to this because they had a front row seat. They were once a player, they are wise to it. They know a little bit better what to be looking out for, but there's just so much that's, that's happening with drinking culture behind the scenes unsupervised with hockey players at that age um, that is fostering this toxic environment. Um, and, you know, looking at sports specifically in sports teams, like as recently as 2014, the NCAA um, didn't even have specific penalties for sexual assault, but they did have penalties for things like uh, accepting free meals and failing grades. And that's as recently as 2014. And more recently than that, the NCAA was allowed to conduct their own investigations into athletes and their problems involving sexual violence. And just last year, the captain of the Western Michigan hockey team was suspended indefinitely after being charged with third degree sexual misconduct because he had actually been on probation with his school for a prior sexual misconduct incident involving another hockey player and was then reported in another and now he's suspended indefinitely. And these are discoveries that have come about just within the last year within hockey. We've talked about Kyle Beach. Um, another is Reed Boucher, Jake Furtanen. Um, and the studies that I talked about earlier, um, one of them was an American sociology educator out of the uh, Ohio State University. And another that references found that these all male groups, um, they were found to be high risk for sexual violence um, against women, but also 
for victims. Like uh, these men are likely to be victims themselves. And this brings to mind the Dan Carcillo class action lawsuit against the CHL that was brought about in 2020 that corroborates a lot of both of these things and the duality of these things being true that these men are also at risk of being victims themselves um, as well as being perpetrators. And we've talked about entitlement and I'm really glad you did because I think it's hard for me as a woman to really paint that picture, but there is a dichotomy that exists and it's very us versus them. Even just at the status of junior pro, these hockey players are elevated within their communities and they're insulated by their communities because of the status that they hold. Um, and as a result, there's a power imbalance that's created and depending on what school of thought you subscribe to, what happens when allegations are fledged against public figures like athletes is often the reaction of disbelief, right? This is totally unbelievable because the perception is that sexual assault happens in the interest of sexual gratification. And so the belief is that, well, why would an athlete need right. to sexually assault anybody? These are people who have status. They're probably in the peak form of their life and they are on track to be successful hockey players. So they're likely to come into some money at some point. Why would they do this? And it's because we have to look at the power component. And I think that's the been talked thing. about alongside entitlement. Um, and you have to recognize ways in which a player might not often be denied, might not often hear the word no, and might not often be thinking of consequences. And a lot of this is propped up by drinking culture. And it's not to blame it as the root of all problems, but I wanna propose a couple different things. Um, I One reason I didn't know how to handle this conversation is because this isn't a new conversation that I'm only just now entering for the first time. As a woman, it's one that I've been having for over two decades. And it begins with when I was first instructed on ways to protect myself when I leave the house. And I call it risk management. It's something of an itemized list that I run through in my head every time that I leave the house uh, as a means to protect myself. And I think that a lot of young women, especially at the college age when they're going out, are trying to do similar things. It's things like not drinking drinks that you didn't watch be poured, covering your drinks, lacing your key between your fingers and carrying a canister of pepper spray, I'd recommend the gel instead of the spray because it's less likely to get in your own eyes. But these are a risk management things. Super helpful tip. Yeah. If there is any up. one single thing, <laughs> that's a great tip. Don't pepper spray yourself. Um, <laughs> and you cannot bring it in hockey arenas. But these, I call it risk management. And then I think of, you know, this is the approach that I would take into going out for a night. Um, and it's obviously like we, we know the numbers of what the rate of sexual assault in college age women is. Even with risk management in mind, there are still failures that are happening because it is worsened by alcohol. And I find that the education surrounding consent is severely lacking in this area and leaves too wide a gray area in our understanding of consent that it creates this window of opportunity then for people to do things and point to alcohol as the reason, right? Like in these Hockey Canada cases, drinking is involved. And I think we're going to find that a lot of people point to the fact that the players were also drinking themselves. They couldn't properly get consent because they themselves were incapacitated in some way. And that's where it begins to be troubling for me because consent can be outlined. It is a resounding and enthusiastic verbal yes. It is not a coerced yes. It is not the absence of a no. And it can be withdrawn at any point. And if you look at that in terms of risk management, kind of similar to that list that I was talking about a second ago, if each of us, both men and women, treat consent 
like a risk management list. And we enter nights where we understand that we're going to be drinking alcohol with this risk management checklist in mind, we have to then take on accountability that if we are going to drink and we're going to pursue some kind of sexual proclivities, you take on responsibility then for being able to grant and receive proper consent. And if you can't as a result of drinking, then you shouldn't drink. That is where the accountability and the responsibility responsibility comes into play because consent can be crystal clear, clear if you treat it like the risk management list because this is going to benefit both men and women in drinking situations because men are also harmed um, in situations where they're drinking and they're unable to give proper consent too. This is something that goes both ways that is a rising problem, I think, in what is creating this hotbed for sexual assault in hockey and it's drinking. Um, and I think if we treat consent with that clear of a definition, it will help to eradicate some of the problems that we're seeing, but it's also going to be a lot swifter and stricter co uh, consequences and recognition too um, for the people that are involved. And I know we're like whining or we're getting you know near the end here, but there's there's just really one of my last couple of things. I just wanted to build a little bit on <clears throat> a couple of the points that Megan made there because I, I've mentioned it now a couple of times about you know hockey's unique in that kids leave home to go um, stay with someone else, and and Megan honestly kind of articulated that better than I've been able to. It 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 creates a really interesting and unique environment that you have these groups of young kids who, again, if you don't have the right leaders and stuff in place, you essentially end up with a bunch of 15, 16, 17 year old kids raising each other. Right. And not just 15, 16, 17 year old kids, highly competitive, you know, <laughs> peak testosterone, uh, you know, kids who are teaching each other wrong from right. And it's obviously a problem. And, and my second thing there, which again, like to me is just an issue with the way, and I don't know if this is hockey Canada specific. Uh, I don't know if this is youth sports, whatever, whatever. Like I sit there and you read that pizza party story, right? How, how is it possible that a group of kids that age in town for a tournament of that status playing for an organization with that much alleged clout, how does it happen that these kids are even able to pull this off and like you said, get alcohol and, and, and be in the room and be partying. And how are we even being put in a situation where this is a, a, a thing? These are 16, 17 year old kids and there's nobody keeping an eye on what's going on here. Again, like I just keep going back to, if this is my kid, then I'm thinking about entrusting to Hockey Canada. And you're reading this, you're like, no shot, no shot. And and again, like I I, I hope this it doesn't come off wrong, but the way that you were talking about it, Megan, like when you add up some of these factors, it's like, yeah, no shit, this happened. Like, how did we let it get to this point? And we let it get here and and yeah, now, you know, now we're all surprised by what happened here. Like when you take a step back and look at some of this stuff and it's where, you know, AJ was, we've all been saying like, we've got to do better along this process. We can't keep putting ourselves in these situations where, you know, 
this stuff happens. And then, and then to AJ's point, we act surprised. Right. Like, come on, this is on us. There is, I agree with you for the most part, Jesse, that the vast majority of hockey culture is good, but there is at this point, enough of a subsect of hockey culture where this isn't, a lot of people like to think of these situations as one-offs and it's absolutely yeah. not the case. There is a yeah. consistent pattern here in a subsect of hockey culture where this continues to happen. It continues to get covered up. It's we're, we're talking about pizza party texts where there's even systems in place of, they already understand potentially what they're doing here. Right. And it's, it just can't be left the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah. I have some possible solutions, and honestly, a lot of you have already touched on them. The first was the bystander intervention training, and that's not usually as literal as being an eyewitness to a sexual assault unfolding, but it is peers holding their peer group responsible and being trained to identify these high-risk environments and sexually aggressive behaviors to be on the lookout um, and ways in which that they can intervene. Um, the other is clear codes of conduct and sexual assault pol- uh, policies with outlying consequences, consent education, which I've touched on because it remains still a little bit lacking, even in the last decade, what I've seen, and shattering the code of silence with easy confidential reporting tools and consequences for those who know things and are complicit. And then um, there are programs that are offered to coaches to begin having these types of conversations with their players. And I think that there are age appropriate ways to reshape this conversation. We could talk about bodily autonomy and consent without getting too graphic at younger ages. And the sooner these conversations begin, um, but especially before they hit this junior age where it seems to be a hotbed for problems, they're going to have a little bit of more education going into it. And then it's presence, it's the adults in the lives of these young players being present and beginning these conversations and following up on them because it's a lot harder to walk into a locker room and look your coach in the eyes when you've had these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We are kind of wrapping up the show here almost at 80 minutes. So Megan, anything else you wanted to touch on specifically? No, I think that covers it. Okay. Uh, So we're going to wrap this one up. I, I think at the absolute base level, the conversation is pretty straightforward. Just try to be better and try to help those around you, especially in your own communities and cultures. Uh, how, With that being said, specifics we got into on the show are very important. They need to be talked about and they need to be out there in the open. So things like this getting regularly swept under the rug are not acceptable and can't be gotten away with regularly. And that's, that's my kind of final thought here is, is to me, that's, that's where a lot of it starts where again, like this is something that you, know, you talk about a lot just in life. Again, there's another mentality that I try to have just in life, but I think it's really applicable here as messed up as it is. You know, we can't, we can't change what has happened. We can't go backwards, right. And undo anything that has happened. That's one of the scary and unfortunate parts of life. But as we've mentioned a thousand times now, we do have everything to do with what happens next uh, as a community, as a culture, as whatever word you want to use for it. Um, we have uh, we have full control over what happens next. And, and I think we brought up, um, again, some stuff that's uncomfortable to talk about. Um, but this is a community that I, um, I hold extremely, extremely uh, near and dear to my heart. 
and and I want it to be the best version of it. You you want it to be what you always imagine it to be, right? Um, and, and that's something that I hope we can uh, we can work towards. And, and I know that's something that I'm I'm grateful to be back ingrained as part of this community because I feel like we have the opportunity to make some changes. And and you want to see that so that this is something that can persevere and and people can enjoy it and, and share the same passion that, that we share for it for a hundred more years. Right. And, and you, it starts with making it a, a safe, uh, inclusive place for, for everybody. Everybody should feel comfortable at the rink. Uh, everyone should feel welcome and, and no one should have to feel like they have to run through a, you know, a checklist just to go, you know, watch some hockey and hang out with some friends. And, and that's where we can be better. Um, Megan, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that, that you, um, were here today. I think you brought up a lot of really great stuff. You gave me a great pepper spray tip. Um, and, and, and you really did. I, it really I, was you, very helpful. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, it can have not, eye in it too. And it, it would die. Yes. The other person's face. Hey, yeah. All right. <laughs> Stop digging. You already struck oil. Um, it, no, but I'm, I'm just glad you're here because I do think this is something that, we can get really hyper focused on it, hockey, sports, whatever. And, and this is this is a very widespread issue that that extends way beyond those borders. But we are starting to see it uh, publicly creep in here. It's it's been here, and um, I think there are steps we can take in, in every aspect of our lives, whether it be hockey, work, uh, just being out in life. And and I do really do. I think it starts with um, lifting each other up, helping your teammates, and and uh, if you see something wrong. Uh, that's how you help your teammates. That's how you support them by saying something uh, and doing the right thing. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap up the show today. For those of you that did watch or listen, we appreciate you being part of this conversation. Uh, it's obviously something very important to us, and we hope it's something very important to everyone and not just the hockey community, but the entire world. Um, we don't do shows like this very often, but we think they're very important to do when they need to be done. So, uh, hopefully it's a conversation we can continue to have and move things in the right direction. But for today, we're wrapping this up. For those of you that want this to be an escape for you in this pod, we'll be back to that tomorrow. Normal hockey stuff. Rookie camp starts Thursday, so we'll be talking Ooh. about hockey and, and, and all of the, the actual sports and things that are fun again. So we hope you'll tune in for the next one. But until then, be good to each other, and we'll talk to you later.